Welcome back to our Triune Pod. Nick Kamiski is still on vacay, which means I have another special guest for you. This time it's Chloe Sinclair Edmondson, who is a seminarian in the Episcopal Church. She used to be a parishioner of mine before I moved way down south to Birmingham, Alabama. Chloe, thanks for being on the pod. How are you? Doing well, Ben. How are you doing? It's a big week for you. Whatever. We'll get to that later. But uh, yeah, what have you been up to? What have you been reading? What have you been watching? What's been giving you joy? Uh, Let's see. I was at a cousin's wedding this weekend, so there wasn't a whole lot of television viewing going on. I guess like every other gay person in America, I can't really not watch RuPaul's Drag Race and keep up with that. So is that just like a prerequisite that has to be in your top three? I'm pretty sure it's a prerequisite now at this point. You're like not allowed to not watch it and be very much up to date. So I caught up on that last night, actually, because as I was prepping for this podcasting, kind of going through the psalm, there was a moment that did stick out to me. Uh, They were so Rue was doing interviews with with each of the queens who have made it this far. And uh, there was one interview with uh, it was with Raja, for those of you who a few of you who do (laughs) tune into Drag Race every week. And Rue was asking Raja about his background in the church. And as a queer kid growing up in the church, didn't have a great experience. But Rue was then asking Raja, well, what, what good have you taken away from your time in the church? And there was very much sort of this response of, you know, the Christian ethic is very aligned with every other religion, you know, love your neighbor, that type of thing. And it was just very clear cut sort of, what in our sort of theological circles we'd say very much the law and that translated the next interview right after that so that made me a little sad because I mean just as a queer kid growing up in the church I do know what the church can can be for for people who are queer and to hear the takeaway just being the law is something that I I easily see happening and does make me sad and then there was an interview right after that though with someone who had gotten sober And Rue has also gotten sober, has been sober for a while, and was reflecting on just the beauty of that whole process um, and the beauty of finding, as he put it, people who could help. And the fact that, you know, this whole sort of empire that Rue has built and all of the beauty that that has brought into so many other people's lives wouldn't have existed without that. And to me, that was such a touch point on the salvific saving work of God and, and really having an experience of God as a saving, redeeming, it was, it was gospel, you know, it was the other side of that, Mm. that law gospel divide. And it was really interesting for me to sort of see that so starkly put. So is that going to be in your next sermon? It's going to be an illustration. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to begin with. (laughs) And here are my three points. I live for pop culture illustrations to put in my sermons so that's that's free listeners take that and live with that but i think that's actually a pretty good transition to our psalm and we'll, you'll see why in a second so i'm going to read the psalm and then i am going to ask chloe to share her brilliance with us so it goes like this give thanks to the lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever let all those whom the lord has redeemed proclaim that he redeemed them from the hand of the foe. He gathered them out of the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes. They found no way to a city where they might dwell. They were hungry and thirsty. Their spirits languished within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, 
and he delivered them from their distress. He put their feet on a straight path to go to a city where they might dwell. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his mercy and the wonders he does for his children. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Whoever is wise will ponder these things and consider well the mercies of the Lord. Chloe, what strikes you on first reading of this text? So that word, I think in its verse one and verse 18, they translate as mercy. Yeah, this is the the BCP translation. Yeah, the BCP translation translates as mercy. In the NRSV, it's translated as steadfast love, which I think is just hits a little harder. For those of you who don't know, listeners, which would be most of us, including me, most of the time, but that word in Hebrew is hesed. So So the the Hebrew word is hesed. And I think hesed is a, a word that doesn't translate very well to any language because it does, it incorporates this idea of love, but love that's also rooted in this like enduring commitment. I think one of the best examples in the Bible of hesed is the story of Ruth and Ruth when she stays with Naomi. It's described as not necessarily her feelings of love. It's a character trait of herself, this steadfast, committed love of why she stays and takes care of her mother-in-law. I see you're and, saying this is the, the steadfast love that Chelsea is desperately going to need when she sees <laughs> me for who I truly am next week. That's exactly it's all, right. It's all feelings. Mm-hmm. It's all infatuation right now. But once she sees the real Ben, if this is going to work. We're going to need some steadfast, Ruth-like love. That's exactly right. And that's that's the kind of love that, that God has for us. You know, it's it's this, it's not a, oh, I feel warm fuzzies. It's a steadfast, committed, promise-keeping love. Hmm. That's um, good. So I like that translation. I think mercy is all right, but I think the translation steadfast love really hits it for me. Yeah, I think I've I've always really kind of loved the word mercy because grace was such a word that was thrown around in the church of my youth, even though I never really knew what it meant. It was just kind of a church word that was devoid of meaning. So mercy, just for whatever reason, I heard the gospel for the first time. I don't know why I really resonated with that. Like, mm-hmm. oh gosh, like, I don't know, maybe it was an illustration of all those <laughs> epic movies and TV shows we watched, like Game of Thrones, that the king or queen says, I pardon you, I give you mercy. So I really resonated with that. But the way you describe this, the translation of Hesed, this promise keeping love, I mean, that's just as good, if not better. So yeah. I feel that. Well, I mean, I think they go hand in hand, right? Because I think... The- <laughs> God has to have a lot of mercy in order to really keep 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 his commitments to these humans that keep doing what humans do. Even more than you, Chelsea. Even more than you. <laughs> well, I mean, I think I think it sort of connects into the there's this echo of thanks for this salvific saving love that I think, you know, for the psalm it's definitely a return to the second temple. But I was going to ask you that because yeah, yeah. My first reaction was this is a liberation from exile. Yeah. But before I did a lot of research, I thought, well, maybe it could be talking about the Exodus, which yeah. made me go back to some of my sorry, big word alert listeners, but hermeneutics classes, which essentially just means you know, essentially, why the heck do we interpret texts the way we do? But I, I, I wondered if it was maybe a little bit purposely ambiguous. 
yeah. by either the writer or a redactor, you know, when it was put into the canon, uh, so that this might be true for all generations. But yeah, what I mean, what did you make of you? You're talking about the exile. Yeah, I mean, from from the commentaries that I've read, I think it's it's you know, it, it, timing wise, it was praised for the second second saving. Yeah, but I think I think with that being said, I think it's echoing these larger experiences, and I think probably the ambiguity is absolutely purposeful and. As a Christian, I read through this and can take it through that lens, but then also see it as, yes, this is this is celebration. This is thanksgiving to God for someone or a peoples who have experienced this type of steadfast, committed, following through on promises, love yeah. that, that, that for us as Christians, you know, I think, yeah, translates into salvation from sin, death, and the devil. Yeah, no, and I, I really want to pick up on that because in verse two, the author writes, God redeemed them from the hand of the foe. And I love that. I grew up, and rightly so, I'm not hating on this, with a real emphasis on the substitutionary atonement. And I believe that there is substitution all over scripture. So don't get me wrong, listeners. But there was kind of an either or. It was like you're for the substitutionary atonement or you're for what's known as Christus Victor or this, you know, deliverance from evil powers motif. I don't think they're at odds, but here the real emphasis is that there is a foe here, a foe who has them in their grip. We need redeeming. We need rescue. We need mercy, the steadfast love. Be true to your promise. Don't let us fall prey to the powers. And so I love that. And later on in the Psalm, there really is that notion that we're we're desperate here. We're hungry and thirsty. Our spirits languish within us. And that's what led us to cry out to the Lord. And then that promise keeping God is the one who saves us from, as you said, sin, death, and the devil, which includes, you know, spiritual powers, but also powers that be the thing at hand. So sorry if I stole your thunder a little bit. I get a little passion on this. No, uh, you were the one who really directed me towards Fleming Rutledge and her breakdown really that helped me a lot with uh, recognizing that those themes of Christus Victor and substitutionary atonement and all of these sort of atonement theories really go hand in hand. And I would almost say that looking through this psalm, it's like, I, I think there's a very real emphasis on the the practicality of being a human, needing food, needing to be safe, healing from being sick. Yeah. And there is also a spiritual side of, of all of that. Yeah, I think it's interesting that it's a psalm that is both praising God for salvation that has happened and also like desperately longing for for salvation. And mm. so I think it's it almost kind of sits in in that tension that we that we still live in to some extent every day. What I see there, too, and I wonder if you see this and feel free to take issue with it, is there seems to be this God has saved God's people from the powers. If this is talking about the exile, we're talking about from exile in Babylon. But again, we can talk about this as Christians as all that stands in between us and God's love for us. All the not just the crap we do, but the, you know, the, the demons, the systems, all the stuff that holds us in bondage. We're saved from that. But we're also, on verse 7, we're saved for something. He puts their feet on a straight path to a city where they might dwell. And when I when I hear this, I think of, I don't know, I think of like America, right? We're all about freedom here in the U.S. We want to be free from a whole lot of things. 
But I don't think we're actually sure what we're free for. We're all about kind of like, I want my autonomy. I want to be able to do whatever I want. But I think we could probably use a good dose of being put on the straight path. Not as like some kind of new law, not as some kind of like way to, well, I give you grace, but now you've got to earn your way to God. But there is something in the zeitgeist that I think is really yearning for meaning. Why do you think that your cousin and your sister and all of your friends who were depressed last year are hardcore activists this year? I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but we're all looking for some real direction. And what I think this song gets at, even with just that verse, we're saved from these great foes. And the psalm ends with give thanks. But we've also been put on that straight path. And I'm not trying to like give us a blueprint, a new law for what that means, but the Holy Spirit is working on us to save us for real purpose. And I think that's part of the good news. I absolutely think so too. And I, I think, yeah, it's interesting you bring up that lack of meaning because I think that that's such a huge thing right now. And I think some of that has to do with not knowing where things are going, you know, and even I think there's a lot of trying to get onto the quote unquote right path that at the end of that path leads to like, a lot of burnout and a lot of uh, mm-hmm. disappointment. But I think being put on, you know, as you're, as you're talking, I'm like, yeah, we're put on the straight path to the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And that is a very different thing than anything that we are devising or, yeah, we have been redeemed. We have been saved to be children of God mm-hmm. in his kingdom. And that is, I mean, that's the best news. <laughs> and all of these other kind of means at finding meaning, not that there's, there aren't great things to them, but I mean, just look at the lack of grace, forgiveness, yeah. mercy, promise keeping love, right? If, I mean, if you step out of line, even if you have been on the right side of everything until now, and it's one thing and not to, you know, make, make light of that one thing or whatever, but then you're out. Yeah. And I've talked to some people, I mean, in my job and I, I see this on TV is, Some people just living in this ever-present anxiety, even though they kind of feel and know that they're in the right. (laughs) But it's as if like the devil is lurking around the corner, looking to take them down. (laughs) One wrong move. I mean, the good news of Christianity in this psalm is that this is the God who, he didn't just save once at the Exodus, not even just twice at the exile. This God is the one whose property is always to have mercy, as we say week in and week out. So. Yeah. Sorry, I'm going to stop preaching. Oh, good. You're, you're a good preacher. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. Anything you see or any, anything else you want to talk about over here? Yeah. Yeah. They, there's a lot of talking about the relationship of who these people are that are praising the Lord as people who have cried out to the Lord. And that's the relationship there between the people who are now praising God for what he's done for them. That, that relationship is established by their need. And by their admission of need and dependence. And I think it ties into what we've just been talking about. But I, I think that's really, that's such a different relationship to have to God than this idea of God who is telling you what you need to do versus a God who hears you when you cry out. And that is how he's able to have a relationship with you and and do what he does. That's the best news of all. That's, that's yeah. the gospel right there. We did like, yeah. I just, man, we take such for granted the balm of Gilead that we have, that we really do have. We have what people yeah. want, right? We have the, the purpose, yeah. but it's like a historic purpose. That's kind of, that's very much grounded. It's established in forgiveness 
and mercy and even the knowledge that you're gonna screw up. You're gonna have really big falls. You're gonna get yourself into situations where you are desperately crying out to God. And it may even be like a physical hunger and thirst. I don't know about you, but I've got friends who just stop being able to pay their bills one day. And they're just like, man, I thought I knew need. And now I know like real need. Not the, not the spiritual needs aren't very real, but it's just like, whoa, the bottoming, the bottom is coming out. I think I almost, you know, I, I think this, this separation of physical versus spiritual needs, while helpful in some ways, it, they're all human needs, right? Like it's all this part of us being these re- reliant dependent creatures that are reliant and dependent on God. And I think it's in those moments of really knowing that and acknowledging that and crying out, you know, I think like the 12 steps, AA gets this so, so correct in that your relationship to your higher power is your acknowledgement of your weakness and your need for saving. I mean, I was just actually just thinking about that. There was a mockingbird put up a, a post earlier today, and it was a picture of four of the most different looking people you can imagine in the same room. You know, one's an old man with a huge beard. One's like an African-American man. Another person's like a model, whatever. And they're all in this kind of same vicinity. And I think the tagline was something about like <laughs> four regulars, of the same AA group. And I did kind of go back to the beginning of what you were talking about. Uh, with the RuPaul show, it, just, it was, it almost felt a little bit sad to me when I thought about it. Like, I, oh, I wish that would have been tagged as four people at the same church. Cause that's really what mm. we have to offer. Yeah. That, again, the purpose, mostly the mercy. Yeah. I guess you should say it, like the 12 steps with the whole, like, Hey, sometimes you just start right back at day one mm-hmm. and you say the same words over and over again. I'm an alcoholic dot, dot, dot. So. Yeah. Well, Chloe, thanks so much for being with me. This has been super fun. Listeners, we might not have an episode next week. And that's because, as you probably know, I'm getting married. A little bit crazy. Maybe, maybe, you know, I'll come up out of the word work and figure something out. But again, Chloe, thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Ben. See you next time.